It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 18th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. As you know, the doll resumed yesterday with TDs meeting for the first time since the Christmas break. Immigration, accommodation and the rise of the far right were high on the agenda. The far right are a small group of people who sit around all day on the internet giving out about foreign nationals or get a bus Two far-flung corners of the country to protest over this country providing people fleeing from war, torture and persecution with a place of sanctuary. The social insurance contributions from foreign nationals, so, so that is the PRSI contributions, is three billion per annum. And over the past 10 years, it has amounted to 17 billion. And that's coming from the workers in our health service uh, and the workers in our hospitality sector, the workers in our food processing uh, plants and other key sectors. And that's helping us to pay for the pensioners in this country. It's helping us to pay for unemployment benefits. But despite the positive contributions uh, that Heather Humphreys listed there, there is a small number of people who are filled with hatred, who are determined to make life terrible here for other people they know nothing about. Idle minds are making up stories. They are telling lies. And for some strange reason, misinformation is spreading. There's a terrible spitefulness in all of this that has resulted in protests in every corner of the country now, protests against people seeking international protection from moving into the neighbourhood. You'd wonder how some people can be at protests in the middle of the day when everyone else is working. That's the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphrey, speaking in the Dáil yesterday. There's a very well-known story about a couple who years ago fled for their lives and indeed the life of their unborn child. There was a price on their head in their hometown. That was a place called Nazareth and they fled to a place called Bethlehem where they sought sanctuary. But when they arrived there, Mary and Joseph were told there was no 
room at the inn. This is a point that has been made in a statement by two bishops whose diocese include Ross Gray, where protests are ongoing. The bishops are the Church of Ireland, Bishop of Tume, Limerick and Killaloo, Michael Burroughs, as well as Bishop Fintan Monaghan, the Catholic Bishop of Killaloo, who joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Bishop Monaghan, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. You're asking people to be as open as possible to make sacrifices despite some of uh, the inconveniences that might uh, arise in your statement. Uh, Do you believe that uh, people have forgotten some of the values that have been held dearly in this country for many years? Well, Michael, you've painted the picture so well there, both in the uh, the, the little snippets and and also in your piece there, uh, expressing the Christian uh, situation of things. And that's what we had in mind, I suppose, out of concern uh, because of some of the the protests that were in our own diocese and and even in in recent times and and last night even again uh, in other places uh, that seem to be be growing and this level of... um, uh, I, I suppose concern that people have. Um, so what we're trying to do, in and what we feel is a very recent way to express a voice for at least that the Christian view of things would would be heard. We were just saying there as as a group of us that were at breakfast this morning that we're reflecting back into the Ireland of the times of the famine, when the country had approximately eight million people. Or, uh, we still don't have that level of population in Ireland, so we, we should have plenty of space. But we're reflecting back in the time when so many Irish people had to go abroad seeking similar refuge, you know, at a time of economic difficulty and that, and other countries so gladly accepted us. Um, so what we were appealing in that statement, uh, as we begin Church Unity Week, uh, the joint statement between myself and, and the Bishop of the Church of Ireland, Bishop, was for people to look at the broader perspective, to see the extraordinary times that we're in uh, with the level of movement of people necessary because of the, the sad reality of war and uh, and famine in some places, and for people to be as open as possible to receive, despite the significant sacrifices, and we express that in our statement, do realise that local resources are Uh, absolutely stretched. Mm. But in these extraordinary times, I think, uh, from the Christian point of view, it's our view that we we really have to be as generous and as open as we possibly can. So it was in that spirit that the statement was made. Yeah. Uh, Ross Gray is a a long way um, from Piccadilly, a long way from Leicester Square, and a, a long way from where the 17 people who tried to gain access to their new home came from. Uh, And uh, many uh, of those uh, 17 would have been children uh, and uh, they were so affected uh, that there were tears in their eyes uh, facing into the venom, uh, if you like, of people saying, Ross Gray is full, no room at the inn, you're not wanted here. Um, That must be very disappointing, to say the least. Yeah, well, in, in the concrete situation in Ross Cray, they have been extraordinarily uh, accommodating to date in the last uh, couple of years. Um, two big uh, former convents uh, are housing quite a number, another facility as well. So they have been 
hugely accommodating and it's in the nature of people in 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 Ross because I I know from my seven and a half years been bishop and uh, the many dealings that I've had at confirmation time and and that there's a lovely level of generally of of welcome for so typical of the Irish people and they have had a, a huge amount of um, uh, of influx of of people from from countries seeking refuge and they've accommodated them very well. Uh, so they're, they, but uh, they also have huge concerns in terms of the facilities. Uh, in the concrete situation there, the hotel was one of the, uh, if not only hotel that was active in in the area, uh, and people are pointing out that they'll have to go to either Nina or to Bar now for basic facilities for celebrations and all of that. So they have genuine concerns, and they have concerns in terms of uh, education and the pressure it will put on schools. Uh, health and um, you know policing concerns and yeah. all of that, but in fairness, the government have um, pledged in view of the the protests that were made, the legitimate process in that regard, that they will do their best to extend the resources, and we do refer to that in in the statement that um, every effort mm. should be made, and, and even the the, the Taoiseach uh, during the week made that guarantee that huge efforts would be made. Uh, and certainly local councillors, local politicians are doing their best to look at alternative ways of providing amenities as well. Uh, there's an old disused hotel in the town and uh, they have an idea of developing that as a community uh, hotel uh, based on, on some other examples that have been quite successful and the government are, are open to looking at that. Mm. So it's very heartening to see that those sort of you know creative initiatives are, are going on and uh, but then what we're appealing is that people would try and bend over backwards and do their absolute best in, in the extraordinary circumstances that we are in, mm. rather than having people on the streets, um, you know, yeah. not having anywhere to go, especially mm. young children and families. Yeah, well, it, it, there's a, a number of choices, uh, I suppose. Uh, we can provide people with accommodation or we can say to them you can sleep on the streets in this freezing cold weather. Uh, and the dangers that are associated with that, or or just don't come here, stay uh, in Ukraine or Syria or Afghanistan or wherever it is uh, that people are are fleeing for their lives. And and that is that is the uh, stark alternative: either either let them suffer dreadfully, or else try and make huge, you know, whatever sacrifices can be made at local level. And every possible, we'll say, living space that is available. Even in diocesan terms, we've done our best to look at all the properties that we have and, mm. and offer them as as a refuge. And some uh, have taken those up in various different uh, parochial facilities and old halls, old convents that may be available. Um, so for every institution, and I think the government now are looking at developing new bills that might be um you know, in in an area that might be acceptable and mm. safe, and, and all of that. So, all of these creative ways of maximising uh, the potential for for any living space, and then even beyond that, uh, in terms of gainful activities for people that come, and that is a genuine concern that people might be together in a, in a in a in a large space and not having anything concrete to do. And that can create difficulties in terms of, uh, uh, to use a better term, the idleness of, of people hanging around doing nothing. So to be able to look at some possible ways of providing 
gainful work um, activity that might be useful in the community mm. and that, uh, you know, helping people to integrate as well as they possibly could and thereby learning the language and the culture uh, and so many of jobs. I think yeah. that Irish people, uh, it is difficult to get them to do a lot of uh, new uh, Irish are very willing to, to work and and, uh, and provide a service uh, and, and that could be a huge resource for us going forward. Absolutely and that's the point that the Minister was making we need people here as a nation, we're all getting older uh, and the day is not far uh, away from us at the moment uh, where there'll be nobody to do the jobs that uh, us as an older generation uh, as a, a, a nation of uh, predominantly older people uh, will need done uh, because there won't be enough young people to do it uh, we need people to move into the country That's the issue, the greatest resource that we have are our people and uh, certainly in a workforce for construction and all of that, and that mm. seems to be uh, on, on the rise again after the economic uh, decline mm. and also mm-hmm. post-COVID, and people are badly needed in, in basic service industries. So to be able to creatively look um, and, and uh, see how, how, how their services and their willingness can, can be used. And I know from my experience in, in the Ennis area where, where I work, so many people have now settled and they want to remain and are very happy with the level of integration that they've received and are, are very uh, settled and, and, and very much accepted once people get to know. It's the old thing, that sense of strangeness, once that dissolves, once that breaks down the barriers that are there and people get to know people and uh, and, and integrate well. And that would be the hope, certainly, for, for the, the ongoing future. And I suppose the other angle of things, trying to advocate and to work for, for peace. Uh, and I know I'm a member of the board of Trokra myself, and Trokra advocate hugely in terms of trying to end the wars, be it in Gaza or be it in between Russia and Ukraine. And I suppose in the religious point of view, we do our best to pray for uh, peace in the troubled areas and, and uh, encourage people to be able to support any of the aid organisations that will uh, be able to provide some assistance and help. Mm. And I, I'm sure most people will because most people are supportive and therein lies the irony of all of this. Most people are charitable. Most people are, are Christian people. Most people realise uh, that we're talking about people in a, a time of great need, literally fleeing for their lives. Uh, and you make the point very well that the first refugees were Mary and Joseph and we all grew up thinking it was terrible that they were told there was no room at the inn. Now it's our turn to respond uh, and uh, I think you've made it clear Bishop how you think people should respond thank you for doing that on the programme with us today and indeed thank you indeed for joining us t- uh, for that matter that is uh, Bishop Fintan Monaghan Catholic Bishop of Killaloo now if you want to make comment on our programme today our telephone number is 041 text or WhatsApp 086 658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Why would you want to give your dog or your cat, for that matter, an electric shock? Seems an odd question, uh, but uh, apparently people do it using e-collars. And uh, the Department of Agriculture uh, say that the Advisory Council for Companion Animal Welfare is considering a ban on these remotely controlled electric shock collars in this country. There's a, a period of consultation which is 
is underway on banning these collars, which ends at the end of this month. But they shouldn't be banned, according to Independent Senator Ronan, Mo- Ronan Mullen. Uh, very good morning to you, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. Maybe I, I should ask that question I asked a, a moment ago of you. Why would you want to give your dog or your cat an electric shock? Only a psychopath would want to give their dog or a cat an electric shock. Let's, let's be clear about what we're talking about here, Michael. Um, first of all, this consultation, the first point really I was making is that the consultation was announced almost in a secret way by the department and put up on the website. I had several journalists getting on to me saying after I sent out my press release, saying, we can't find this consultation, will you send us a link to it? And when you go on and eventually scroll down to the bottom of the page on the department uh, website, you, you, you find a small notice that they're having a consultation on the possible ban of remote e-collars um, and with just three weeks for people to uh, give their views, which to my mind, you know, there's kind of an old tradition of government hiding unpopular announcements and hoping that nobody will notice. And I feel that this is something the government shouldn't take a decision on without a fully evidence-based approach. They need to hear from farming groups, they need to hear from scientists, they need to hear from animal welfare people. Everybody needs to be in on the conversation. Mm. And it's also important to say they're not talking about banning the perimeter fence electric shock. You know, I was talking yeah. to a friend of mine, vet the other day, for example, and we don't have this at home, by the way. We, I'm fortunate I live in the country. We have two rescue dogs ourselves. I walk them frequently. I let our dog uh, off the leash uh, when I'm on the bog road because it's quiet. My concern is, obviously, that he wouldn't get hit by a car on the busier road. But even though he's a sheepdog, if he saw a sheep, he'd, he'd run back to me in, in, in anxiety. The issue is, and that many sheep farmers and people in, and hill farmers, uh, which sheep have, is that terrible things happen when some dogs get off the leash. You're talking about sheep being savage, you're talking about sheep being worried, you're talking about sheep being chased, and it isn't necessarily by kind of what we would regard as fierce dogs. It could be a friendly Labrador wanting to play, but frightens the hell out of a sheep. I heard of a story of a you know, clump of sheep mm. in a coastal area being driven onto a rock, and then in their terror they eventually jumped yeah. off the rock. You know, so but are, are you telling so, us you're a psychopath? No, I'm telling you um, that... But you've, all, used, you've used these electric shock collars. You said only uh, psychopaths would want to give their dogs an electric shock. I, I, I am saying only, only a psychopath would want to be giving dogs shocks. What I, I've never used these, uh, but what I'm saying is, first of all, it's not being proposed to get rid of the perimeter fence situation, which is where, as you know, a dog has a collar... There's a button on the collar. If they stray to the boundary, they get mm. a shock. Mm. Nobody, no, nobody is saying that they, should be banned. They, so they, 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 they soon stop doing it. Uh, Correct. So somebody, somebody, so so people accept the principle that in certain situations, a small shock might be actually to the benefit of the dog in terms of their safety and so on. Now, I think if you take that a step further and say, should it be completely banned, that there would be responsible, let's say, official trainers who will help train your dog so that if you're taking them on the road and if you are, and let's say if you're taking them in, in hills or, on, or for, for long walks, and yeah. if you let them off the lead, and right, remember, Michael, you don't want dogs on a lead if you're taking them for a walk. You want the opportunity to let them off the lead. There is a, a serious problem, and at the moment we'll be hearing announcements and warnings, and you've heard them yourself, from farming organisations. This is lambing season. Sheep that are chased by a dog and end up aborting the lambs, and it's been known to happen, and there's lots of it going on. You talk to the head of the 
Natura, John Joe Fitzgerald of the Irish Natura and Hill Farmers Association, he'd say that he wouldn't really want dogs being allowed on hills and on farmland yeah. at all, except for the farm dogs. So the alternative is to look at what is the best way to train dogs so that they don't attack livestock or worry sheep. Well, the, as you said, as you said, say, as you said, don't bring them uh, to places uh, where they're going to be close to sheep, or if you do, make sure that they're on a lead. That's it's simple. Yeah, and that, I, 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 yes, but that isn't also practical because what will happen is invariably people will lack the discipline uh, to to do that in certain times, and things happen. So in Scotland, for example, you've had them kind of massively ratcheting up the fines. Um, on, uh, on on people who let their dogs off the leash and if they attack animals. But already, for example, in Wales, where they... Well, shoot the dog. Collar. Shoot the dog. Yeah, well, you see that, the best that, solution and, and, because and, and, if, if, a dog gets yeah. the, if a dog gets the taste of blood, it, it's going to attack it again. So that animal uh, is no longer human-friendly because of the negligence of the owner and it's all to do with the owner. That owner should be banned Agreed. from fr- from owning dogs. No, I don't disagree with any of that. But what I'm saying to you is I think the balance that can be struck here is that if you have responsible training uh, of dogs by people who know how to do it, and and the science seems to suggest, uh, and in fact, because I, again, I'm kind of reading into this as I go, there seems to be a lot of evidence to suggest, first of all, I think we need to, and I you know, grew up on a farm, and many of the time I got a shock off an electric fence, uh, the time... The type of shock that you're talking about here is actually a very, very... They would, some people would dispute, for example, the responsible dog owners in England who have been pushing hard against the proposal that the British government would ban these e-collars. They're saying that it's kind of 5M joules, that it's about 3,000 times less powerful than your you know, standard electric fence on land, which mm. gets sheep and goats and cattle all the time. So if you have people who, let's say, are able to train so that animals become livestock averse, yeah. I think that could be a help. And I don't think a blanket ban ever works. I'm, be, okay. I'm basically saying here, regulate, don't ban. And let, but, but let, my let real put, message here is, let's have a consultation that's fully inclusive of okay. all voices and experts. Let me put two points to you, if I can. First point is, they're not necessary. You don't need to be giving dogs or cats these shocks uh, because you can have them on the lead, you can keep them away from sheep. Uh, so regardless of how mild the shock is, you don't need to be giving the animals these shocks. Uh, and the second point is, uh, what you're saying might be well and good in an ideal world, but we don't live in an ideal world. We live in a, a world where people are cruel to animals uh, and indeed many people will train their animals to be vicious. Mm. Well, I'd agree, and, and I, I, would, I was talking to an, an, an animal lover, a man with more than 10 dogs, and they hunt with them and so on and so forth, and he was making the point about, you know, we were discussing this, I said, you know, is this a kind of a justifiable approach to training dogs, you know, to, to, to keep away from livestock? And he would say, yes. Well, what you don't want is, what you don't want is kind of trigger-happy people who buy these collars willy-nilly and use them just to zap the poor creature if he goes up on the sofa. That's not what we're talking about. So we're talking about, is there a way that, that, that this kind of, if you like, mild negative therapy can be used? And if that could be shown to, be, to, 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 to lessen the savagery and the carnage that is happening as 
every week uh, mm. on sheep farms. And, and it, you know, think about it. Like, I mean, I've had relatives who've had sheep scavenged. It's a horrible thing to come across. Mm. It's very traumatizing. So, like, this is really a case of there's a danger here, and I'm not accusing you of it, there's a danger here that the it's actually the idealism is on the other side. If you go for, for a complete ban on an appropriate use of a training device, you might end up having more dogs kept chained in their sheds. That's not pro-animal welfare. Well, dreadful, yeah. more, more sheep being attacked, worried, mm, and, sl- mm. and savage, and yeah. more dogs being but shot. Can I, ask so you I just... think we need to have a full consultation at this point and make a big step. Okay, can I just ask you one uh, final question? Why don't you walk your dog somewhere else? I mean, there's plenty of places, uh, dogs love to go to the beach, for example, where you, there's plenty of places where you can walk dogs that there aren't sheep. Well, you mean, why why can't people do that? Obviously, my situation, it doesn't arise. As I said, I'm fortunate to live in East Galway and I can walk down the bog road and there's no question. Mm. I don't need, I I don't have a problem. As I said, our two rescue dogs are very well behaved and our sheep dog is particularly timid. He looks around, if you let him off the lead, he won't run 20 metres without looking back to see him, I'm still there. So this isn't arising for me personally. Um, you're right, of course, where people have options, they should they should keep their walking. I mean, obviously, in urban dwellers, they're going to local parks. And I mm. see here in Dublin, a park that I use for the odd run, there's times when you can have the dog off the lead and there's times when you must have them on the lead. But I, do, I, like, I would think, like, I've heard the hill farmers say there should be no cattle um, or no dogs, dogs allowed yeah. on near farms or hills. I think that would be a pity because... Hill walking is a great pleasure, and the company of a dog is a great pleasure. And if there was a way of training your dog so that they keep their distance from livestock, I think that would be actually a happy situation for the dog as well as for the owner. I think that's what needs to be looked at before we rush to a blanket ban. That's all okay. I'm saying. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning, as always. Independent Senator Ronan Mullen. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. Thanks, by the way, to Fergal in Castle Bellingham, who says, put the shock collar on the owners. Zap them every time that the dog strays. And somewhat in line with what Fergal had to say, uh, Lorraine has been in touch and she goes one step further. She says, Michael, maybe shoot the owner as it's their responsibility to take care of the dog. Thank you, Lorraine. I'm sure that's very much tongue in cheek, but making a valid point nonetheless. Now, if you want to make comment or text, WhatsApp number is 0861800658. Never drink and drive. We have all heard that message over the years. It's very dangerous and indeed alcohol is a factor in many road deaths but with later closing times on the horizon there is concern that there will be more drivers who ignore that message and actually do get into a car after having a drink. Dr Sheila Gilhini is the CEO of Alcohol Action Ireland and joins us now and a very good morning to you Sheila. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. You're concerned about later opening times for many reasons but you're making this particular point uh, and you're saying it's based on evidence uh, that has been looked at in terms of road deaths uh, that have occurred since there was a change in trading hours in Norway. Yes, and thanks very much, Michael, for having me on. Actually, there's a wealth of evidence from right across the world uh, which would relate um uh, increased uh, trading hours for, for alcohol with uh, problems with road safety. Uh, but this is a very uh, in-depth uh, study that was carried out in Norway and they particularly found that uh, when licensing hours were increased, 
um, that there was a considerable increase in the numbers of road safety or drink driving events that would occur. In fact, actually, they saw that it was particularly the case in rural areas where they saw um, up to 30% increase in collisions in those areas, which they would have linked to um, less public services in, in rural areas compared with um, urban areas. God, that's now, incredible, already, isn't it? Mm. It, it absolutely mm. is. Now, we mm. actually already know that over 70% of the, the deaths that occur in our roads actually do occur in rural areas. So we already have a very high level of, you know, of, of a problem in that, that regard. But also that 37% of um, road fatalities are associated with um, a, a positive toxicology for, for alcohol. So, you know, when you combine those two factors and when you look at that evidence uh, that we have from Norway, but also from other jurisdictions around the world, and we can see right now that there is a very substantial increase in the number of road deaths um, here in Ireland. I think it's really incumbent uh, upon the Minister for Justice, uh, Helen McEntee, to look again at these proposals. At the very least, I think we need to have um, a, a detailed assessment of what it's actually going to cost. Yeah. Now, what's it going to cost in terms of, you know, increased guard resources to deal with it, increased ED ambulance services, and of course, most of all, what is it going to be the burden on the families right across Ireland if we are if we are most likely going to increase our deaths mm. on the road. Uh, and why do you think that the increase, as you say, in rural areas uh, in Norway, uh, that they've increased by 30% to road deaths uh, because of extended trading hours? Why, why do you think that is the case? Is it that people who drink and drive now, let's say, are, are drinking more? Or is it that more people end up deciding to get into a car after having a drink? It, it, it's it's both things that simply if there is a greater availability of alcohol, there's more alcohol consumed. And one of the problems in consuming more alcohol is that you do see uh, people's decision making, you know, becomes increasingly impaired. And that's one of the reasons why, why you see people, um, you know, actually drink driving in, in the first place. That sort of thing. I can't um, get a taxi. I'll chance it. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah, okay. And that's very much, you know, the, the researches there were pointing to, you know, this increase as being most evident in rural areas where there is, um, you know, there, there is a Getting lack of, of, uh, mm-hmm. of, of public services. And we know that to be the case in, in Ireland, that we definitely have a possibility of uh, public transport mm. um, outside of, of the main city areas. But do you know something? Even within the main city areas, it's, it can still be uh, a problem. Mm. Um, People so feel they're invincible. I mean, there's so many foolish drivers on the road uh, who don't seem to take into account that if there's any chance they're wrong, they could be uh, in a coffin or they could kill somebody else uh, but for as long as I can remember Sheila uh, whenever we talk uh, about drink driving people always say why don't the guards park up outside the pubs at closing time and breathalyze everybody coming out well you know we would certainly say that there's a need for more guard resources in, in this area but one of the things that's actually very concerning is that um, we have seen, seen at the moment that the number of guardi who are assigned to road policing is actually at its lowest level yeah. since 2017 mm. and the number of alcohol breath tests has actually dropped by more than a half mm. compared with pre-pandemic levels. But one pub so, at a time, you know, I, I mean, you, you, you take a, a sort of um, strategic approach to this, one pub at a time uh, and let's say you catch 
uh, 20 people out of 100. You put that on the front page of the newspapers, say that this is part of an ongoing campaign. You'll be checking pubs every night, uh, do another pub a second night and uh, release the data from that. People will soon start to feel that there's a chance that they'll end up being arrested and put off the road. Well, there is no doubt about it that enforcement is probably one of the most important things that that we can do around this. But we have to remember that it is, you know, it's a multi-pronged um, effort that that's needed. So we have to see what are road deaths right now, what is our level of drink driving right now. We certainly know we need more resources simply to deal with where we are. What we're saying is, don't be pouring more alcohol into this already very fraught situation. Don't don't make it worse than what we, what we already have. We certainly need more enforcement to deal with what we're currently dealing with. Don't add to, to the problem. Okay. We'll leave increasing licence in right. Okay, well, I, I think p- uh, personal responsibility is probably uh, the biggest message and uh, perhaps people listening to us will heed what you're saying about how dangerous it is to drink and drive uh, and heed that message of never drink and drive. Thanks for joining us this morning, Sheila. Dr. Sheila Gilhini, the CEO of Alcohol Action Ireland. Now, uh, thanks uh, to the texter who says, please don't read out my name. Uh, she says, or he says, uh, you, if you own a, a dog, uh, you're responsible for them. Do not take dogs where there are sheep or other animals. Some people should not be allowed to have a dog. Uh, we uh, another text uh, then from... Uh, a listener who says, uh, just listening to the issue about uh, speed, uh, 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 that was yesterday, I think. I was standing at the lights at Tesco Extra on Saturday morning and a car was waiting for the lights to change. The smell that came out of uh, the car was stomach churning. Uh, there were they were smoking some form of weed that's what's on the roads that and drink how do you turn that mindset on thank you indeed uh, the caller goes on to say that people volunteer in everything uh, that they can tidy towns a lot of our volunteers uh, are, are people who are seeking refuge uh, people uh, who are coming into the country looking for asylum, the uh, immigrants, uh, and not too many locals come out to clean up their own areas. It's a valid point, I think, too. Thank you for making it. Uh, Deirdre says, Mike, all dogs should be on leads. I met a lady out with her dog and I was afraid. I said to her, would you not put him on a lead? And she said, he won't bite you. I said back to her, how do you know? Uh, I said years ago I got attacked by a dog and ended up in hospital and she said to me oh my god and that changed her mind Uh, and she put the dog on the lead thanks uh, for telling that uh, to us uh, Deirdre Uh, Joanne in touch too and she says Ronan Mullen needs to realise the damage these colours do nobody wants to see sheep terrorised or killed or dogs running loose but these collars are not the answer we need responsible owners and people uh, uh, proper welfare laws the animal Welfare laws that we have are not being enforced. Stop punishing the dogs and start putting pressure on the owners. Also, Ronan Mullen needs to speak about animal welfare when in the next breath he's speaking about his friends hunting dogs, the most badly treated dogs in the country. Thank you indeed, Joanne. 0861800658, our text number. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Some more of the comments coming to us. A listener says in a WhatsApp message, any guard or guards who sat outside public houses at closing time would soon find themselves on some island off the West Coast. Interesting theory. Thank you indeed. Uh, On uh, the issue of dogs, uh, another listener says, we use a whistle. The dog knows to come back when they hear the whistle or else they'll be put on the lead. And no nonsense. Uh, That's how they're training their dog. Uh, another texter says, I know drunk drivers who've been driving 30 years and have never been stopped. Thanks, Paddy, for your message. Tom in touch with us today as well. He says, Michael, it makes me sick to see so many cars outside pubs at night. Very few of them are drinking 7-Up. This is a fact and it is sickening. Thank you for that. Mick and Kells in touch about dogs as well. Uh, and he said that they should all be kept on leads at all times in public. You can let the dog off to lead when he's on your own private property. Dog owners are responsible for the dog. Uh, If they attack anyone, they should be made to do some kind of safety course. Thank you indeed, Mick, for your message. I do want to mention a a number of other comments because we've actually been inundated with comments since yesterday's interview with the Cahirlock of Louth County Council from people making comment on that interview and the ongoing issue relating to uh, the treatment of victims of child sexual uh, abuse by the Christian Brothers and the attitude of the Order and Brother Edmund Garvey uh, to those victims uh, and indeed uh, a lot of strong feelings in those comments. Uh, We aren't ignoring you. We want to make special space for those comments and we'll do that in the next 20 minutes or so if you will bear with us. Now let's uh, turn our attention to another a separate issue uh, that has to do with Louth County Council because it's 11 weeks since the flooding in North Louth and we're joined once again by local Sinn Féin councillor Anton Waters who says he is dismayed at the lack of action since the flooding. Good morning to you, Councillor Waters, and thank you for joining us on uh, the programme today. Uh, There was a a lot of talk, you say, but you're wondering when we'll see action. Yeah, Michael, exactly. And come here, Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. I think we can say it for another day or two. So look, unfortunately, I'm back on about the flooding um, at every meeting since uh, Halloween. I've been raising it in relation to trying to get everything collated as to what we needed to address uh, with Roadworks and now trying to see where the funding is to do this because every time I raise it, it's, I've been told um, we've no word back yet. We're sending more information into the department. But at the end of the day, Michael, it's just not good enough. Um, I was told on Monday at the full council meeting that we won't hear a word probably until the middle or end of February, which is another four or five weeks away. So that's going to be 16 weeks four months since right. the since the flooding um, in fairness to the council and I was on before we were planning uh, the council were planning temporary repairs which were were great at the time but even on New Year's Day we had a significant rainfall and what had happened uh, what happened was everything is just washed down off the off these roads Michael and now they're down blocking drains we're now starting off from the same point again where right. the roads are basically back to where they were Mm. Uh, in fairness to the council, they're kind of trying to do work with this with one arm tied behind their back because it's putting this gravel and aggregate into the potholes is only a very, very temporary thing. Mm. And that's all they can do at the minute. These roads need full full works done. They need dug up. But I, that, I that costs. I mean, to put 
uh, gravel into potholes. That, that there's a cost to that. Of course there is. And what it does as well, Michael, is it affects all the other work that the council are planning to do. Um, I would have been off the opinion that the road network in North Loud, uh, as of like last year, the year before, was in very good condition. So normally at this time of the year, we're planning to do, um, you know, we make mm. reps in relation to, to smaller roads and all that need a bit of work with potholes and maybe some stuff that's fallen into the ditches and, you know, drainage yeah. works. This is now all up in the air because my fear is them roads that need a small bit of TLC to keep them in a good enough condition are now at risk of going into worse repair. Mm. So, But they'll have to be repaired uh, and uh, I take it there'll be a further cost before we get to repairing them because you'll have to temporarily repair the temporary repairs. That, that's exactly where we are now. We're, we're back again doing temporary repairs on temporary repairs and it's very, very frustrating, Michael, when you have a huge uh, amount of representations from people all around the North Loud area who have been affected, who can't get into their houses. I have, I've, I've one particular area where the laneway into their, uh, their homes has fallen away. They can't get in. They're going in through a field, Michael. Um, I asked the, the council to try and push for an enhanced LIS scheme, which is like a support scheme where the council would uh, obtain funding from the department for 85% of the costs mm. and the local residents pay a part of it. The residents are willing to do whatever they have to do, Michael. But if we're not given this funding, we're wasting our time here. That's and dreadful, what, yeah. what, mm. what I'm saying mm. is, unless we get the funding and, and what was promised to us, Michael, um, we're just pushing the can down. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
in the road. And you and said that cars are, are being damaged as well in your statement. Uh, because the council is aware of the damage to the roads, is the council not liable under those circumstances because uh, the damage hasn't been repaired? It's a very, very interesting thing and it's something that I'm looking into now over the last couple of days because... Since the weekend, they've had a lot of people in contact. So they, whenever you damage your car, Michael, on the road, you, yeah. you contact the council's insurance. It used to be done in-house. Now it's done by ITB, who deal with all this. And what we've been told now is that uh, the constituents come back to me saying that they've been told this has not been covered because there's no negligence on the behalf of the council that it's got to do with acts of nature and stuff like that. So... To me, that's not good enough because at the end of the day, the constituent or me or you travelling on the road who hits a pothole and causes mm. significant damage, it wasn't me and your fault. In some cases, you can't avoid these yeah, potholes. Every pothole is an act of nature, isn't it? Yeah, well, true, yeah. But yeah. it's general wear and tear too, Michael, you know. Yeah. And as I was saying to you, as part of the roadworks programme and the general work the council do, they're repairing these all the time. And this is not happening at the minute because they're still trying to do the temporary repairs from what, the damage in Halloween. Sure. And what about the drains? I mean, that must be of significant concern that uh, we have a, a repeat if we get rain on the scale that we got back at the end of October. New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, Michael, I had to get sandbags for residents who flooded previously because they were, the water table so high now and with the repairs that's done, the gravel's running into the drains, it's blocking the drains again, then the water's coming down, it's going in round properties. It's a vicious cycle is basically all it is at the minute. And I feel for these people, like I have neighbours of mine who flooded a couple of times over the last uh, couple of weeks and months, and it's constant fear every time you hear the rain on the window, you're going, am I going to be up again all night trying to stop my house from flooding? This is what we're dealing with. Now, in fairness, there is CC, the water levels have receded um, I know everyone's given out about the frost and all, but I actually don't mind it, Michael, because it's not the rain mm. and it's given a chance for the water levels to go down. The CCTV surveys have been done by the specialist crews, which are finding the blocks and drains underneath the roads that need to be cleared to try and get the water away. Basically, um, th- this has given us a chance to catch up on some of that. But all that work then has to be planned. It all has a cost. So this is all going back to the, the 1.6 million, which is quoted, which we need for the the repairs to the damage at Halloween is what we need now, Michael, to get this done. We have to still tender for all this. We have to plan it. It's still a long way down the line before we're going to see machines starting to do this resurfacing that's badly needed. Okay, Anton, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. That's uh, Sinn Féin councillor Anton Waters. Now, uh, we're uh, going to hear from uh, the Dáil uh, because, as you know, uh, the Dáil resumed its business yesterday and we've already been talking about immigration. But uh, as we heard on the programme yesterday, housing was another issue. Indeed, there was a private member's motion tabled by Sinn Féin, which would uh, have seen a surcharge of 17% at at a minimum stamp duty on um, investors, uh, investment funds uh, or vulture funds, uh, if you like. Uh, We can hear how that was raised by the party leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, in the Dáil during leaders' questions now. Minister, in the midst of a housing crisis, people need a government on their side, not in the corner of wealthy vulture funds. Government had a choice in 2021 and you have a choice now. You can again choose to allow investment funds free reign to snap up family homes or 
you can finally take real action to clip the wings of these vulture funds and put an end to this unacceptable practice. I suppose the way to deal with all of this is increased supply in our housing stock and we all agree on that and indeed I was in Dundalk on Monday Pass there and can I just say the number of new housing developments there is unbelievable. There's thousands of new houses being built and that is happening right across the country. Uh, 30,000 new homes built in the last year. The number of planning permissions is way up. The number of commencements is way up. Mortgage approvals are at a record high. 500 first-time buyers are drawing down their mortgages every single week. So the policies of this government are working. Wonderful. I thought you might be interested in that. That's uh, Minister Heather Humphreys, who used Dundalk as the best example in the country of how the government is tackling the housing crisis. Not sure what you think of that if you are in Dundalk, but the best example of how the government is tackling the housing crisis. Uh, don't know uh, if people will agree or not, but I'm sure you won't be slow about telling us. 0419832000 is our telephone number. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. Councillors in County Mayo passed a motion this week calling, uh, or I beg your pardon, um, which uh, will uh, see local authority staff immediately cease cooperation with uh, the Department of Integration in Housing Refugees and asylum seekers. It's two fingers to the government, if you like, which has come as a terrible shock, I'm sure, to the government because it had the support of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael councillors. But the horrible reality of this is that it's giving two fingers uh, to people who are seeking international protection in uh, this country. It's sending out a strong message to them that they're not welcome in in County Mayo and they may go and sleep on uh, the streets of Dublin. The motion was tabled by independent councillor Michael Kilcoyne who joins us now. Good morning to you Michael and thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. Are, Are you that concerned about losing your seat in the elections that you've decided to play the race card? I'm sorry, um, I'm, um, if you give me a chance to explain, Mike, without jumping to a conclusion of what our decision meant, we were not given two fingers to uh, refugees or to asylum seekers. We never have. We have taken refugees and asylum seekers in this county long before other counties took them. And we have, for the last year, uh, on a regular basis, been in touch with our local TDs, been in touch with government, to tell them about what was happening down here. Uh, we have 167 people homeless down here. Um, we, we have never had uh, any assistance to the communities that have taken all of these people and to the way these people have been treated themselves, some of them put into places that leave a lot to be desired. So that's where we're coming from. We're concerned both about the people that are coming in to join us and the people who have been here, some of them for the last 20 years, from countries like Georgia and so on. Mm. We, we took in people uh, here in Castlebar 25 years ago when um, no, nobody else would take them. So our record is very clear. The only failure in this whole thing in Mayo is the failure of the government to provide the resources. And is it acceptable? Is it acceptable, for example, that 41 people should be on trolleys a week ago in the hospital? Uh, they weren't all immigrants or refugees. 
but the numbers have got far worse as a result of the influx of people and the services not being put in place. Mm. And eight ambulances, some of them sitting for up to six hours with yeah. their patients on board, trying to get them into the hospital. Okay, but you that don't want to, you don't want acceptable. you don't want to house any more refugees as things stand. And if every local that is that, not, uh, as well, things sorry, stand, well, as things stand, that was the qualification there. Uh, and if no, every uh, if every local authority in the country was to take the same attitude. Uh, well then, where else would refugees go except the streets of Dublin and tents? So what do you expect them to? What do you expect these people to do? They at the moment they are in the tents on the street, uh, and the reason they're in the tents on the street is because this has been going on for the last two years, and government made no provision whatsoever to help these people. We tried to do it. We have done the best we can, and we're saying we want to do more, but we need the government to assist us. We will not, under any circumstances, accept that people should be just uh, going to Ireland as if it was a place where they can solve, we can solve all their problems. We can't even give these people proper accommodation. And that's not fair to them. We want them. We want this thing sorted out, and it can be sorted out very fast. Okay, so maybe, maybe you'd answer the question uh, I put to you. Where else are they to go other than the streets? Well, there is there is no place else for them to go. The fact is that okay. in Mayo at the moment, there is no accommodation whatsoever. And we're saying um, that government needs to put a policy in place on what's going to be done about this. So Somebody has as to far as your, our TVs. As, as far as you're concerned, um, because of the inconveniences that you're talking about, people should be intense in this weather. Sorry, Mike. If they're not inconveniences to people that have, for the last two months, some of the last two years, some of them have been on the street here. Uh, some of them have been in emergency accommodation. Some of them are sleeping four and five and six uh, people to a room because we're so short on accommodation. And the government didn't do a thing to assist them. Not a thing. Well, I think the government is trying to help people and trying to find accommodation well, you, 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 uh, apart from the resistance uh, that uh, a small number of people and now politicians who are desperate to get re-elected uh, are, Sorry are, Mike, if you want to continue this conversation, I'll be fair but I won't take criticism that is not warranted on behalf of my councillors here in Mayo, simple as all of that Right, well, um, what are you worried about? I, I mean uh, there are so few people who have come into this country, if you exclude Ukrainian refugees, that this is farcical. We are the second. We have the second highest number of of people. Do you know how many people uh, came into this country last year who were not Ukrainians? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But I'm concerned. Thirteen. And just for our listeners, then I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say how many people came into the country seeking international protection. In other words, they're fleeing war, persecution, torture. Thirteen thousand two hundred and seventy-seven people. That, that's that figure is not correct. That figure is we correct. That figure. That, that's that figure is exactly correct. That's the official figure uh, of the number of international protection applicants who came to Ireland in 2023. Well, I'll give you the, the official figure for Mayo. It's 1,290. And go and check it. 1,290. So that must mean we got them all. Your figure is not correct. <laughs> uh, 1,290 is 1,290. 1, 290. Out of 13,227. Yeah. 
Okay, yeah. but no, the, the figure, have, the sorry. figure, no, no, no. But I want to, I want, I want to put that in context because that sound, might sound like a lot of people to uh, coming into the country. To people, it's, it's just, a, 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 we have accepted an increase of six percent uh, in our population here in County Mayo between Ukrainian refugees and how many have left? People, I'm, what do you mean? Well, what what I mean is, you're telling me Mayo is full, but I'm telling you, Melbourne is no, 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 Mel- no, Melbourne isn't full, Perth isn't full, Sydney isn't full, yeah. and the point here is, thirteen thousand two hundred and twenty-seven people came to this country last year. Twenty-one thousand Irish people left this country to go and live in Australia last uh, year. Ab- uh, absolutely, but them okay. twenty thousand people that went to live in Australia. They were able to get accommodation. They weren't just thrown in on the street. They, w- uh, they weren't walking yeah. around all day with nothing to do. Yeah, but, you're, well, but you're, if, they had, if they had stayed here, there'd be 8,000 more people in the country. Uh, and the, the, the thing about the Irish people who went was they were going there for completely economic reasons. They had no reason. The Australians had no reason to accept them. They could have said, we have enough people in this country. Go back to Ireland. It's a very wealthy country. Uh, you're, you're not going yeah. to be shot. You're not going to be raped. You're not going to be tortured. You're not going to be uh, castigated. Oh, he's hung up. Okay. All right, we leave that there. Anyway, that, I think, is an interesting point. You have, uh, we should have room in this country for 8,000 people, if you consider. And this is just Australia. I mean, if you consider all the places in the world that people are coming here from, Nigeria, uh, we have people coming from Algeria, we have people coming from Afghanistan, we have people coming from Somalia, we have people coming from Georgia, uh, we have come, people coming from Syria, uh, we have people coming from Yemen, uh, we have people coming from the worst corners of the world, 13,000 of them, from all around the world, 21,000 Irish people left this country. That's a difference of 8,000. So have we really... Uh, taken in too many people. Now, by the way, uh, we're talking about Australia. I'm sure an awful lot of people went to England. I'm sure an awful lot of people went to Scotland and Wales. And indeed, I'd say an awful lot of people went to the United States. And if you're not uh, of uh, the opinion that when politicians start uh, taking positions like this ahead of an election, that it's not something that should be questioned. Uh, Well, maybe uh, we've given you some food for thought. Our telephone number today is 041-983-2000 if you want to make comment on the programme. That's 041-983-2000. I think it's an awful pity that Councillor Kilcoyne uh, decided to terminate the conversation because people tell you they want a, a conversation on immigration until you start giving them the facts. Text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael Reed on LMFM. I mentioned earlier on uh, that we have had uh, an awful lot of comments coming to us uh, from people uh, following on from uh, the interview with uh, the Cahirlock of Loud County Council, Paula Bushley, on uh, the programme yesterday, and indeed uh, the ongoing coverage and issues relating uh, to the Christian Brothers' handling of cases uh, looking uh, for um, recourse from men who, as little boys, were uh, sexually abused um, by Christian Brothers uh, and how the Christian Brothers have gone out of their way, it would seem, 
to deny those men from accessing justice. Uh, let me bring you some of those comments now. Mick, thank you for your text. He says, Dear Michael, thanks for the continued coverage of the Garvey issue. Christian brother abuse victims have been treated disgracefully by the order and uh, the government and continue to be so to this day. A lot of exclamation marks. Even the issue of withdrawing the freedom from Brother Garvey a small bit of support for victims of crimes that destroyed their entire lives could not be carried out in a respectful way by some. There's a need for transparency as soon as possible. Sarah in touch saying, can the CEO of Louth County Council please reflect upon how the actions of the council impacted the victims of abuse and prolonged the campaign to remove the freedom of Drogheda from Edmund Garvey. Thank you, Sarah. Dermot, thank you. He says, uh, Dear Michael, I listened to your show yesterday and the interview with the Cahirlock of the County Council. It can't be easy for victims of child sexual abuse to hear that kind of detachment and lack of concern from these people. It's important work, though, trying to bring everything out into the open and break the generational curse of secrecy and abuse. Well done and keep it going. Thanks, Dermot. John says, hello, Michael. Why would Joan Martin, with 47 years experience, need legal advice to tell her what she can and can't do? After the train wreck of an interview with the chair, I'm convinced there was no legal advice. This, to me, was a plot hatched up by the CEO's office with certain councillors to thwart Mayor's motion and it backfired. Thanks, John, as I say. Uh, Dara, thank you indeed, uh, Dara, for your text as well. And she says, I listened to the chairperson of Louth County Council with aghast, comparing the evidently Chinese whispers of legal advice given in Louth County Council to the Attorney General and the Cabinet. The Attorney General is a qualified lawyer and gives advice firsthand and can be questioned. The Louth system, as described, is a joke, but we, the electorate, electorate are the bigger fools. As I say, that's from Dara, a woman and a voter. Thank you, Dara. Uh, dear Michael, uh, is a, another text uh, message. Uh, this comes from Damien O'Farrell, uh, and he says, as always, thanks for the support. I, I listened to an LMFM news item featuring the chairperson of Louth County Council, Paula Butterly, Unfortunately, Damien says she doesn't understand the significance of this matter to us, nor um, will she ever understand uh, this issue of a reserved function. It's clearly set out in the legislation, Damien says. No councillor should be sent out to bat for Louth County Council with so little information or awareness, says Damien. Thanks, Damien. Oshin McCann has been back in touch with us on Facebook and says, Hi, Michael. The question really is corporate governance and people being held accountable. Setting of standards and culture comes from the top and senior management team. A lot of councillors are afraid to confront or to ask the difficult questions or hold senior management to account. When the county manager gets legal advice, which they are entitled to, the basis for any decision should be shared with the Cahirlock. 
to build trust. Also, the opposite view could be taken by not sharing that the CEO is waving a warning stick to the councillors. At the end of the day, the senior management team are very well remunerated and for that, high standards should be set with corporate oversight. I understand... HR and legal issues. However, poor performance or standards should not be acceptable and the directors who are the councillors should ask the difficult questions and expect an honest response. Uh, An email that came to us during the programme yesterday that I didn't come to from Theresa Riley who said, listening to the Gehirlock, still no answers. This brings cover-up and circling the wagons to a whole new level. The legal opinion must immediately be made public and available to people. Nothing less will do now. Nothing less will put people's minds at ease. Disgraceful and unacceptable behaviour of council public representatives and this cannot be the end of the matter, says Theresa. Thank you indeed. Uh, as I said uh, earlier on the programme, uh, there really was a, a lot of people in touch with us about that particular issue. Uh, there were a lot of people in touch with us about the last interview, which uh, saw uh, Mayo Councillor Michael Kilcoyne hang up on us. And I'll come to those mo- uh, comments a- in a moment. But it is freezing cold, isn't it? And the cost of heating uh, is of concern to everybody. It has been for a long time, but the bills are coming down. Are they coming down quickly enough? This is a question that was asked by local TD Darren O'Rourke in the Dáil yesterday. We've had announcements of energy price reductions this week, but the fact remains that energy companies are far too slow to pass on wholesale savings. And even with these planned reductions, energy prices here are far too high. We have amongst the highest electricity and gas prices in Europe. Almost 275,000 domestic electricity customers and almost 160,000 domestic gas customers are in arrears. You'll know that St Vincent de Paul took 20,000 calls from people struggling with energy bills last year. On these cold days and freezing cold nights, people are literally afraid to turn on the heat and light, and that is scandalous. So can I ask you, Minister, do you agree that there is significant scope for further energy price reductions and what will your government do to ensure they materialise and quickly? I have to say I'm glad to see that energy prices are coming down uh, and, uh, you know, this government has done a lot in terms of the €200 uh, electricity credit uh, or energy credit that we've been uh, uh, paying out over the last month and, and, and more to come. Uh, and for my own department, we expanded the fuel allowance. So these are all things that we have been doing. And of course, uh, uh, like yourself, I'd like to see the energy prices coming down further. Indeed. And uh, we all would like to see the cost of energy coming down further. Uh, and I'm sure that the reductions uh, that we're being told about will be welcome. That uh, is Minister Heather Humphreys, who was responding to Sinn Féin's Darren O'Rourke in the Dáil yesterday about the cost of energy and in Indeed, if uh, those prices are coming down fast enough. Let's speak now to Frank Dillon, who's Head of Communications with Alone. A very good morning to you, Frank, and thanks for joining us. You'd hope that everybody has the heat on this morning, and I'm sure if they don't, you'd encourage them to do that and to make sure that they stay warm. But I I think uh, you probably also want to speak 
to other people who may look in on elderly relatives and neighbours in this period of freezing cold weather as it is. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. Thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, it, it's not a time to be um, to be to be scrimping on the heating because I, I, for many older people, heating's not a comfort issue but a health issue, and, and, and we know health conditions can deteriorate in, in colder homes. So we would encourage people. And look, if you're worried about supports, to get in touch with the loan or other organisations that are there. There is support available to to to, to get over the, the heating bills. And hopefully, as you say, they, they do start coming down. But we, we're just asking people to be, we're, we're making calls to the older people, over 3,000 in the Louth area that we work with. And we're just asking people to be mindful and, and, and invoke that community spirit of this to keep in touch with the older people, maybe check in, try and prevent those taking unnecessary risks. If you can pick up the shopping or the prescription or anything like that, um, or maybe just check in, you know. Mm, yeah, just a, a knock on the door goes a long way because, uh, as you say, uh, it might be an idea to go uh, collect shopping for somebody because an older person may not want to go out in this weather because apart from being freezing cold, it can be dangerous because of the vice and that sort of thing. And they might be just delighted to see a friendly face. That's exactly it, you know. Sometimes, and, and as somebody says, you know, if you, if you knock on the door and they say they're fine, you feel better, they feel better. You know, there's nothing, there's no downside really. Um, and, and it's just about, yeah, that, that keeping in touch. And, and if you could prevent one journey or, you know, just by picking something up, or it, it can make the world a difference to people. And, um, and, and it's what we're good at, you know. We, we saw that many in, in the pandemic and many times before. So it's it's just a gentle ask to people to, to be more mindful of, of those in their community. Yeah, uh, and it's not going to last too long. I think the weather's to change at uh, the weekend, so it really is only over the next couple of, uh, of days, hopefully, anyway. That's exactly it, mm, and, yeah. and it's Ireland, so the stunk could be split in the stones by the Sunday, it, yeah. hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, older people can get in touch with alone, or uh, their younger children uh, may get in touch with alone, uh, because you've a, a lot of help uh, that you can give to older people. Uh, maybe uh, do the shopping and that sort of thing, as, as you were saying. Absolutely. Um, just any, any little offer of help that might be taken in the, the, the fuel from outside for those those who, who rely on solid fuel, sometimes it can be, you know, the, and we all know that the, the coal shed or the, mm. the logs out the back, you know, it might be just a case of stocking up the house for the next few days. And, and do please, if, if anyone needs support, get in touch with the loan. OK, great stuff, Frank. Thank you indeed uh, for reminding us uh, that uh, there are people there uh, who uh, I'm sure would be very appreciating uh, of other people uh, knocking on the door, as uh, the case may be. That's uh, Frank Dillon, Head of Communications with Alone. Uh, thanks to Peter in Dundalk, who's been in touch with us. Uh, and Peter says, Michael, do you know what size Australia is in comparison to Ireland? We seem to be the last port. Before the Ukraine war, we had a housing problem here and all these emigrants are adding to this. Uh, thanks, uh, Peter, for that. Um, I'm not too sure I know the size of Australia compared to Ireland. A fair idea, like anybody else. I wouldn't be able to give you any exact data on it, Peter, but I'm not sure that it matters. I think the point remains the same. 20, 21,000 people left Ireland last year to go to Australia. That means that they're not in this country anymore. 
So that's 21,000 people that have left. Uh, and uh, just over 13,000 people came. That's if you exclude the Ukrainians. So that leaves 8,000. That's before you start going about the Irish going to everywhere else in the world. Plenty of them went to Germany. Some of them went to Bolivia. <laughs> people are leaving this country all the time. Uh, but that's uh, just, I suppose, nature, isn't it? Uh, and they're for economic reasons, for experiencing the world, for all sorts of reasons. But it's certainly not because they're going to be shot. Uh, Noel says, uh, in relation to uh, the interview with Michael Kilcoyne, Michael, that's what's called bullying the way you treated a councillor from Castle Bar. Why are there no refugee centres in Kalini, Dawkey, Malahide, Hoth and the likes, says Noel. Well, thank you for making that point, Noel. Uh, I hope uh, it wasn't bullying. I think I was forcibly putting uh, some points across uh, about the timing of this motion, especially when you have government party councillors saying that they won't cooperate with the government uh, and the plans to help vulnerable people coming to this country. Like the bishop said earlier on in the programme, the first refugees ever were told there was no room at the inn. But eventually then, uh, the owner of the inn gave Mary and Joseph uh, the shed at the back. Um, all right, look, uh, we'll come to more of those comments in a moment. A lot of people in touch, uh, as I say. Uh, but if you do want to make comments, 86 658 You can WhatsApp or text us now. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, uh, we had uh, a lot of items planned for this section of the show, but we're going to change our plans and come to your comments because there's so many comments coming to us. Uh, WhatsApp message, a series of them from somebody who says, no race car, too many of them people uh, were taking in uh, and enough is enough. Will you go away? The Irish people that went away had money and looking for jobs and not looking for handouts. Well, isn't it well for them? Isn't it, well, isn't it well for the Irish people go to uh, Australia, England, Timbuktu or wherever they went that they had loads of money to go away because we live in a wealthy country. Angela says the people who emigrated everywhere in the past few years were leaving because they couldn't afford to live here and uh, they couldn't afford to get a home here and when they went to these countries uh, they didn't get social welfare. They had to get out uh, and work straight away says Angela. Well yeah I suppose there's some truth in that Angela but plenty of Irish people are on welfare in other countries, plenty of them, and I know many of them. Uh, we'd uh, somebody else saying, not a, a very fair interview. Laddie hung up on you. This is LMFM, not Mayo FM. Not sure about the last point. Uh, Cahill in Mornington says, Michael, surely you're not suggesting that Irish politicians start coming out of the woodwork just before an election? And the same politicians are nowhere to be seen for the rest of the time. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, we'd another text um, from Tom uh, about uh, Louth County Council. Joan Martin, the CEO, is an employee, says. So why are her employers not calling her in to answer the questions? The employers are the councillors, says Tom. Thanks uh, for that, Tom. Uh, Tom also says, let's be fair here. The amount of Irish people that have left this country left, but by leaving, most of them, the 20... 20- 
22,000 people uh, that left for Australia, 21,000, uh, didn't free up accommodation for others. Most were living at home with mum and dad. Sorry, but your facts this time are wrong. Well, they had to find somewhere to live when they went to Australia or Timbuktu or God knows where, Tom. Uh, Margaret says, Michael, I'm a big fan of yours and have always noted uh, that you are very good at giving unbiased opinion on any subject. But when it comes to economic migrants and people fleeing war-torn countries, innocent women and innocent children being tortured, etc. It's beggar's belief what's happening in this world of ours. That said, Irish citizens and those people already here have a, a right to think of their own people and families who might be terminally ill from cancer and so on. We can only stretch a health service so far that is already in crisis. I believe that's the point people are trying to make. So, Michael, please give people a chance to air their opinion and reassure them that these immigrants are possibly doctors and people who can bring their skills to this country. You're not the only person who has witnessed horror. Uh, You're a big fan, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, I... Uh, always great to hear from you. Joe and Julian Sound says, Hi Michael, my family, brothers and sisters, also my daughters had to emigrate to the four corners of the world for economic reasons, but they had to work for anything that they got and work hard. They got nothing for nothing. Can Ireland really afford to take any more asylum seekers? It's really not fair on them, not fair on us, says Joe. Uh, another text from somebody who says, Hi Michael, Irish people going to Australia have to have a, a lot of savings and accommodation sorted before they go nothing handed to them like refugees here money medical cards accommodation can't look after our own and I don't know how you can say Ireland is safe because it's not since all of these illegal immigrants came in well that's uh, one of those pieces of disinformation that is going around on the internet and if you listen to the Gardaí who police the country they say that that's just not true and I'm taking the word of the guards on that and as for having a lot of savings going to Australia again the same point isn't it great that people have the opportunity to save money Uh, Somebody else says, you're saying 13,000 people came in and 21,000 Irish left. That's false. Why are you excluding the Ukrainian refugees? You're pushing false narratives to suit yourself. Ireland is full. Uh, Well, I thought uh, the people who were saying Ireland was full, uh, generally speaking, say, oh, we don't mind the Ukrainians. I I don't know, uh, but that's my impression of uh, the discussion up to this point. Uh, Somebody else says, my brother, wife and two kids decided to go to Australia two years ago and they rented out their fully mortgage-free house with thousands upon thousands in the bank. Your point is a farcical one, Michael. I bet you won't read this uh, out, says Tom. Thank you indeed. Uh, I uh, know of uh, people, I'm not sure if you've heard of them, uh, Tom, uh, who had nothing uh, uh, but the shirt on their back and got into the most awful rowing boats to dry or to sail across an ocean or wherever you put that uh, and ended up falling out of the bloody boat uh, and uh, tied runners around their necks so that it wouldn't weigh them down, that they could lose them uh, uh, just to uh, save their own lives, to flee from being tortured or killed as the case may be. Bridie says, sorry Mike but the place they were sent to was Mayo and they felt that they weren't wanted and uh, she says I know a family who came to Ireland from the Congo 20 years ago they hated the place and they felt that they weren't wanted 
So they got, oh, th- this is the people who went to Mayo. Uh, they came from the Congo 20 years ago uh, and they felt they weren't wanted in Mayo. So they relocated to Dublin and they're very happy there. The children have got jobs and it's great to know that. Well, did you hear what uh, the minister was saying earlier on? It's people like that, Bridie, uh, who have contributed to the state €3 billion Euro last year. I think she said €17 billion Euro over the last number of years. It's a lot of money. Uh, they're doing an awful lot of jobs uh, that uh, people, Irish people, feel too good to do or wouldn't do it for the money. Um, people uh, left for a better life, says somebody, better accommodation and better PAYE. This government turned their backs on the Irish people, not on the foreigners. They were met at the airport by well-known ministers and handed everything. What did the Irish people get when they went out of this country and had to fend for themselves? Well, I think they got what they wanted. They got opportunity. They got our, This is the thing. We hear about the wonderful life in Australia, apart from the weather and the Christmas dinner on the beach and all that. Uh, they're earning a fortune. They're living in big houses and uh, all that stuff. They, they got opportunity. They got big jobs. Um, not everybody agrees, certainly not our next caller who says you are an absolute disgrace to the North East, bullying a councillor to such an extent. I agree that numbers of people have left uh, to live in Australia and other places, but maybe you could ask them how many have had to leave because they've had nowhere to live here in their own country. You should be taken off the air as the most biased person to ever be on the air. Uh, and uh, this person... Uh, calls me Adolf Hitler which um, fair enough if that's what you think Uh, but you know when you talk uh, about uh, people having nowhere to live in this country and having to go elsewhere to find places um, that they can afford to live or uh, to be able to afford to buy their own home yeah, that's a, a problem. That, that really is a problem. And that's a problem for all of us. And that's the problem we talk about on this programme every single day of the week. And that's a, uh, the, a topic uh, that we challenge government on every single day of the week. Uh, and it's a, a, a real, real issue. Uh, and it's uh, one that must be uh, tackled. Uh, and let's hope that the government or some government tackles it properly so that we uh, don't have to talk about it anymore. But it's a very, very separate issue, isn't it, to people uh, coming from places um, where the experience of their lives is like nothing, nothing that any of us have ever had to live through. Uh, Imagine watching your husband being shot and then being raped and then sent on your way. Uh, And that's an experience that sort of will always live with me because I met people like that. Uh, And that's the kind of horrible things that happen in the world. Uh, And that's why people are here desperate. Imagine sleeping on the streets last night in a tent with €38 for the week. Uh, Tom says, Michael, um, that's the whole point you say about people in boats. Uh, It's the politicians' fault that people are in these boats. Can you not see this? I do see this, Tom. But I also think that there's a moral obligation on us uh, to do two things. One is to not punish the people for the ineptitude of of the politicians, uh, but to give them a place of refuge and sanctuary. And the second moral obligation is on us to vote for the government that will make sure that things are done properly if that's possible. 
Look, I think there's a lot of people who are uh, going to have to disagree with me today and we'll have to agree to disagree, but we'll leave it on that note. And thank you for expressing your feelings. That's what the programme is about, a real honest conversation today, I think. Maggie McGuire Research, Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.